And so tonight we're going to look at Psalm chapter 1. And really what we're going to see here in this psalm is that there's two paths in life. There's two types of people. As we'll talk about the righteous man, I cannot talk about a righteous man without first talking about the perfect righteous one. Christ Jesus is the standard for righteousness. He is truly the only one of all of history that was righteous in every single way. He kept every law of God and he was perfectly upright in all of his ways. Both in thought and deed, Jesus Christ never sinned. And so while we look at the righteous man, we must remember that we are only ever counted righteous because we have had faith in the perfect righteous one. But those who are in Christ are now on a pathway to righteousness. That is, they are being trained by the grace of God, by the Holy Spirit of God, They are in Christ. They've been accounted His perfect righteousness. It's been imputed to our account. And because of that, we now, because we are in Christ, and only because we are in Christ, we can be called the godly. Those who were once wicked, those who were once the sinners, those who were once the ungodly can now be called the righteous. So as we look at the one who is the righteous one, that's the Christian. Well, of course, Christ is the only perfect one. As Christians, our lives should continually look more and more like Christ's. The Holy Spirit should be leading us into all truth. He should be leading us in godliness. He should be changing us from one degree of glory to the next. And as I said earlier, this sermon will be about two types of people. You know, Scripture... In the world, we talk about a lot of different type of people, but the scriptures are clear that there is no gray area in this life that we live. You are only one of two types of people. The Bible says here in this psalm that you are either the blessed one or you are the cursed one. You are the righteous or Adam or you are in Christ. You are of the kingdom of God or you are of the kingdom of Satan. You are either new creations in Christ or you are the spiritually dead. You are those who have built their house, they've built their lives on the solid rock of God's word, or you are those who have built their life on quicksand. There is only two types of people in the world. And here in Psalm 1, we will see that depiction of the two types of people. One who is immensely blessed, one who is immensely satisfied in God, and the other who will perish one who is truly happy, and one who will never find happiness in this life. The blessed man and the cursed man. As we think about this, you might be saying, well, only Christ is righteous. How could you ever say that I would be a godly person? I know that I'm a sinner. And yes, Romans 3 teaches that none is righteous, no, not one. It teaches there that each and every one of us has fallen short of the glory of God that we are sinners. And so first and foremost, you must be born again. Left to yourself, you are the wicked that this psalm talks about. In and of ourselves, we are not righteous. We are sinners. There is no hope for us in in and of ourselves. But for those who have come to Christ in faith, who have been converted to Christ, who have been born again by the power of God, the Holy Spirit, they've been brought out of that former life, brought out of the world, and have been born anew, and can be considered the godly, 
can be considered the righteous. And I'm telling you right now, in these first three verses, it's talking about the Christian. It's talking about those who are in Christ. It's talking about those who walk in this newness of life with new affections and new desires, no longer, no longer walking according to the world. Verse 1 says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. This word blessed here, according to Steve Lawson, is a deep-seated joy. And this joy is only found in Jesus Christ. It's only found in the Lord, and it's found nowhere else. It's a deep satisfaction in Him and who He is. The one who is satisfied with the Lord, he no longer runs after the world. He no longer walks according to the wicked. He no longer chases the wind as those of the world do. Constantly seeking to be satisfied by the things of this world, but never getting there. The one who is in Christ is a blessed man because he is a satisfied man in Christ Jesus. A satisfied woman in Christ Jesus. One who is blessed. And as it says there, he does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. When you see that word walk, it means he doesn't live in the counsel of the wicked. He doesn't live with the wicked. He doesn't do what the wicked does. You know, as God walked with Enoch, that means that Enoch lived as God would have him live. And that's what this means. That this righteous man, this blessed man, he doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. Now, as we read this verse, we must admit, we must come to the conclusion that if we are in Christ, we were once the wicked, and we once did walk according to the counsel of the wicked. But this is no longer us. And there is a world out there, and many walk after their desires of their heart. They walk to glorify themselves, to glorify man, after their own selfish desires, after their own idolatry. But as believers... This is no longer us. That's who we once were. As, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, that we were washed, that we were cleansed, that the, those sins, there are our former sins. As, as those who are blessed, those who are the righteous, we no longer walk in the counsel of the wicked. But this doesn't mean that we're not in the world. We are in the world. We have jobs. We have lives. We live our lives in the world. We're not to separate ourselves from the world, but it means that we're not of the world. So we don't partake in the world. We don't partake in that system of sin, that system of idolatry and self-love. That's not the way of the Christian. The Christian walk is not the way of the wicked. The New Testament makes this clear. James 4.4 4 says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. Scripture could not be more clear that the righteous should not walk in the way of the wicked. But on the contrary, in verse 2 it says, But his delight, that is the righteous woman, the righteous man, their delight should be in the law of the Lord. And is in his law he meditates day and night. So this righteous one that the psalmist is talking about is one who delights in the law of the Lord. 
That is, he delights in the revelation of the Lord. He delights in the truth of the Lord. He delights in the word of the Lord. And this should be the righteous man's delight. The blessed man's delight should be in the word of God. Remember, Christians are to be a people of the truth, ones that are being led into all truth. They're being sanctified in truth by the Holy Spirit. Believing that the Word of God is their very way of life. We've built our life on this Word of God. Far from despising the Word of God as the world would, He delights in the world. We see this word here, delight, used in the Old Testament multiple times. Oftentimes it's talking about the way a man delights in his riches or his gold or his house. Or even the way that a man delights in his wife. And so here, God is saying that that's the delight that the righteous man, the righteous woman, the godly woman, the godly man would have into the Word of God. He loves the Word of God. He meditates on it. He dwells on it. He reads it. He ponders it. It says there he meditates on it day and night. He is saturated with the Word of God. The people of God love the Word of God. It is the foundation of their life. The person that delights in the Word, that meditates on it, is like the one who Jesus spoke of. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, he says, Everyone there who hears his words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. This is what the call is here of the godly man to build their life on the word of God, to delight in the law of the Lord. So as we see verses 1 and 2, don't walk in the ways of the wicked, build your life on God's word, and then there's fruit, and that fruit is in verse 3. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its seasons. And its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. So as I said, it's the fruit of verses 1 and 2. It's the fruit from not walking into the ways of the world. It's the fruit from making God's word the delight of your heart, constantly meditating on it, reading it, being saturated in it. You will be a tree firmly planted by streams of water. So a few words about this verse. One is a tree never plants itself. And we think about this as, as if we were once the wicked, that, was, that is that we, are, we were a tree in the middle of a desert, desolate. He'll go on to say we were like chaff. That is fruitless. But God has transplanted us. He has moved us. He has taken us out of that desolate place and he's put us in a fruitful place. A place with rivers of flowing water. And what's that? That's God's grace. It's a river of His grace. It's ever flowing. It's ever empowering the believer. It's a fertile land. And that never dries up. It's constantly with us. The grace of God. Constantly God is empowering His people. He's never leaving them. He's never forsaking them. He's always strengthening them. He's with them all the days of their life. 
He's giving them exactly what they need. And so for those who have planted themselves in God's word, they have found this living water, they've found this stream of water, and they are those who will, in season, produce fruit. Notice it says, in season. I think that's important for Christians to remember. There is times in your life where you need to not walk in the way of the world. There's times in your life where you need to study the Word of God and you need to study it often. You need to meditate on it day and night. And there's times in your life where, you know what? Where's the fruit, God? Well, maybe after you abstain from the world for a while, maybe after you've studied the Word for many, many days and nights, then the season will come where there will be fruit in your life. In the right season, God will produce fruit in your life. But as a tree, this is not something that you are doing. Of course, you are working with, you are, you are responsible, you play your part, but remember where the water comes from. Remember who's producing that fruit in your life. And it goes on to say that the leaf does not wither. You know, fall is coming. I know we shouldn't talk like that. <laughs> but when we see fall, what, what do we all see? We see the withering leaves. But here, this tree, it's unlike the trees that we see. Those trees, their leaves wither and they fall. But here, God says that this tree that's planted, it's planted firmly on His Word, it has the rivers of grace in his life. Its leaf does not wither. It's evergreen. It ever has life. This is the Christian. This is who we are. We are ever empowered by God. He will never leave us. He never forsakes us. He gives us everything that we need in life in order to do what he wills us to do. This, seed, this fruit he talks about in the right season he is the one who provides us with what we need in order to produce it. We are evergreen in Christ. That is never to be withering. Always giving what we need. The grace of God, as I've said before, we can't out-sin it. It is an everlasting, ever, never-ending grace. And in Christ, we are an evergreen tree, never able to wither. So think about that evergreen also. So that tree there, he's by the water. There's times and he's going to have heat. There's times there's going to be a drought. So there's going to be good times in your life. There's going to be times that are, will be easy in life. And then there's going to be hard times in life. But no matter what you're going through in life, God is with you and he has ever given you what you need that you may be that evergreen tree drinking the spiritual water of Jesus Christ. And so no matter what comes in life, you know, as we read this, it says right there that he prospers in whatever he does. So whatever in life, whatever comes your way because you are rooted and you're planted in the Word of God, because you've received His amazing grace in Jesus Christ, you will prosper in everything that you do. 
And what's our minds go to first thing? It's, it's physical. That's, that's what our flesh desires. God, give me stuff. Every TV preacher we listen to, that's what he's preaching. That if you have enough faith, God's going to give you everything you want in life. But we know that doesn't line up with Scripture. You know, you look at the Apostle Paul, he lived a pretty hard life. He suffered mightily for, for Jesus Christ. And you know, according to, to tradition, this faithful man, this man who had faith that is probably unlike any faith that we have ever seen in our life, Nero, the emperor, cut his head off. And so wait a minute, Lord, I thought you said in all, everything he does, he will prosper. And I can guarantee you that even in death, the Apostle Paul would have told you that he prospered. That that's what we're looking for. We're looking for the physical blessing, but God is constantly spiritually blessing us in everything that we do in life. And so when the sickness comes, when the trial comes, when the storm and the desert in your life comes, when the valley is there, God is with you. And because you are the exceedingly blessed man, because you're the exceedingly blessed woman who is satisfied in Christ, nothing can take away what God is working on in your life, that your God is for you. And if God is for you, who on earth could be against you? And so while it doesn't always feel good, no matter what, those who are planted, rooted in Christ, receiving this river of His grace, whatever you do in life, you will prosper. Jeremiah gives us another picture of this exact same thing. In verse 17, starting in verse 5, it says this, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert. That's what we once were. We were a shrub in the desert. That shrub in the desert, it says, It shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Verse 7 says, Of the blessed man, one in the Lord, it says this, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water. You know, a tree that's planted by water is always has a complete supply. This tree sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. For, it, for its leaves remain green. It's an evergreen and it's not anxious in the year of drought for it does not cease to bear fruit. Hear those words of Jeremiah there in the book of Jeremiah. That tree, that one who is trusted in the Lord... There's going to be times of heat. There's going to be times of drought. But it, that tree is planted by the water. It has the constant strength that it needs from God. And even in those hard times, even in that drought, even in that heat, that tree, tree bears 
fruit. God is working in the Christian's life, always bearing fruit. We need this message so desperately today. Too often when hard times come in life, what is the first thing we want to do? We want to say, why God? But what if God is desiring to glorify His name by you remaining steadfast in that trial? What if He desires for you to go through that trial because that's what you need in life? Because He loves you, because He desires to grow you. He doesn't want to leave you where you're at. And no matter what, He, he will make certain that you are fruitful in your life, no matter what you go through. See, we serve the God that, that has inspired Romans 8.28 that says, for, for all who are called, who love God and are called according to His purpose, He's working all things in our life for our good. That is to conform us to the image of our Son. That's not to just give us everything that we want in life. That's to sanctify us. And so sometimes that heat has to come. Sometimes that desert has to come because we have to grow. And we have to grow. And it's not like growing farther apart from God. It's growing closer to God. And as a Christian, what more would you ever want in life than to grow closer to God? So this is the godly. This is the righteous. This is the blessed man. So let's now compare this. To the wicked. Verse 4 says, The wicked are not so, but they are the chaff which the wind drives away. According to the ESV Study Bible, chaff, this is the husks and straw removed by threshing. It's lighter than the edible kernels of the wheat. And so when a farmer tosses threshed wheat into the air, the wind drives away the chaff. And so those who reject God's covenant are like chaff. They bring no benefit to anyone. The farmer, he doesn't want the chaff. He wants the wheat. So he throws the wheat into the air. And the useless chaff blows away. This is what God says of the wicked. So this man is no tree, instead he's chaff. There is no fruit in his life, there's no foundation. The, the ungodly are those who are not converted to Christ, they're of the world, they're blown to and fro by the wind. This chaff is useless, it's to be burned. They are not the blessed one, they are not satisfied in Christ, they are not the ones who love his word, they are completely unfruitful. And like chaff, chaff benefits no one. Those who live for themselves, who live in sin, benefit no one. That's what the Scripture implies. Verse 5 says, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. You know, it is possible that the writer is not talking about the final judgment here, but I personally believe that he is. 
that he's talking about that last day. Every thought, every deed, every evil desire, everything will be made evident on that last day. Ecclesiastes 12, 14 says, For God will bring every deed into judgment. Every secret thing, whether good or evil, will be laid bare on that day. There will be no appeal. Everyone who stands before God without the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ will be guilty beyond measure. You know, I want you to think about this for a little bit. In our world today, what do we hear so often? A loving God would not send people to hell. I tell you, I hear that all the time. A loving God would not send people to hell. But I believe here in this verse, when we see that last day, we see that judgment on the last day, and every single evil thought that every man has had, every woman has had, those thoughts that you don't want anyone to find out about, those evil thoughts, those evil deeds, those, all the things that you've done in your life, every single secret thing laid bare before everyone to see, there will be no one that questions God at that time. There will be no one saying, no, not that person. They don't deserve hell. You know, all those people that say a loving God would not send people to hell, they will be silent. Because too often our problem is, is we don't know how sinful we are, and we don't know how holy God is. But here, every single deed, every single thought, every secret thing will be judged. And as the psalmist says, not one of us could stand. And only those who could have any hope of standing, the ones who will stand, are those who are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And so you either have Christ or you have nothing. You have Christ or you have no hope at all. He goes on to say, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Not only will nobody be able to stand on that day, there will be a separation. We read of that separation. Jesus talks about it. We read of it in the book of Revelation. The weeds from the wheat, the sheep from the goats, God's people will forever assemble with him in his eternity, in his new heavens and new earth, in his new Jerusalem, forever to be united with the Lord, never to depart from him again. But the wicked on that day will be eternally separated, will be eternally cast into the lake of fire. Mother will be separated from children. Husbands and wives will be separated. We will see on that day many cut off from God for all of eternity. Verse 6 says, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Here it says, The Lord knows the righteous. And the English word doesn't do it justice. We read it, we just think the Lord knows us. But God is all-knowing. He knows the wicked as well as He knows the righteous. He knows every single thought, every deed, every, everything about us. Ever. And so this word, to know, it means intimately know, to intimately love. 
It's often used when a man and a woman know one another in marriage. It's a word expressing God's intimate knowledge of his own, his intimate love for his own. Those who know him personally, remember, they're the ones who are exceedingly blessed. They are the ones who are known by him and will forever be with him. Remember, the church is called his bride. There is a marriage supper waiting for the church. And we will live eternally with him in an intimate fellowship forever. While those who God knows and loves intimately will be blessed and enjoy him forever, the wicked here says will perish. They will weep and gnash their teeth. What a horrifying day that will be when the wicked perish. They will face the second death. That's an eternal death in an everlasting hell. That is what the wicked will face. Just in hearing it, our hearts should break for the world. How desperately do they need the gospel? How desperately do they need Jesus Christ? What a fearful day it awaits. While the world is constantly seeking to satisfy themselves, they're trying their hardest to gain the whole world, we will see that they will lose their very soul. And that soul will be an eternal, or that death will be an eternal death. And so the question is, how we end up this is, which are you? You know, as we look at these first three verses, as a Christian, this should be the fruit of our salvation. It's not what saves us, but those who are born again, they've been given a new heart. They've been given new affections, new desires. They no longer walk in the ways of the wicked. They delight in the law of the Lord. They delight in the word of God. They meditate on it day and night. They're saturated with it. This is who we are. Remember how I talked in the beginning. There is no gray area. There's no middle ground. You're either the person that this first three verses is talking about, or you're not. You're either that tree that's planted by the water, that's received the rivers of God's grace in your life, that's being empowered by God to live in this newness of life. And there's actual true fruit in your life. Now listen, some, some different than others. Some more than others. We're all in different places. And remember who the standard is. Remember where all of our, our righteousness flows from is the one who kept it all perfectly. We're not perfect. We don't do this perfectly. Christ was perfect. And we don't need to cling to our own righteousness. We don't need to hope in what we're doing in our life. We don't need to hope in the fruit that we're producing. What we need to hope in is the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. He is the standard. As His people, though, we are being changed. We should continually see fruit in our lives. We should continually be changing 
continually looking less and less like the world, continually not walking in those paths of the wicked. Continually learning, saturated with His Word. And really, you know that verse 3? What I see there is a Christian that is steady, who has the peace that surpasses understanding, that while life gets hard at times, you remain the same in Christ. That while the world might freak out with absolutely no hope, the Christian always remains hopeful, always remains fruitful, because we know of our great inheritance. We have His Word hidden in our hearts. We, we absolutely know His promises are true. We know Christ is returning. We know He's going to redeem this world that we live in. We know He's going to create it anew. He, we know He's going to come back for us. We know He said that we'll have tribulation, but what did He say? That we shouldn't fear because He's overcome the world. He's conquered sin and death. A Christian should be planted firmly with a strong foundation under their life. And so when the storms come, we remain steady. And that's the peace that the world just can't understand. But if this is not you, if you don't see this fruit in your life, if this is not you, remember, there is no middle ground. Maybe you've just said, oh, I believe in Jesus. I like the idea of Jesus, but you don't really know Him, and He doesn't know you. And so as I said, there is no middle ground. You are the wicked that is to perish. But I have good news for you today. If this is you, Christ came into the world to save the wicked. He came to save sinners. He came to save sinners like you and me. He came to seek and save the lost. He came to give His life as a ransom for many. He came to pay the price that we couldn't pay. He came to be our perfect substitute. And while you can't stand on that day of judgment, I promise you, you cannot save yourself. You can't be righteous, but Christ is. And He is calling all of us to come to Him, to trust in His perfect death, to trust in His perfect work, to flee from the wrath that is to come, to flee into His harms, to cling to Him as the only one that can save you. He is calling you to Himself. He's calling you to trust in Him and Him alone. He doesn't want you to trust in yourself. There's no hope in that. He wants you to hope in Him. Today, when you hear that Christ has come, don't harden your heart. Don't say it's not for me. Don't reject this message. Don't be the wicked one that will perish. Instead, be the immensely rich, blessed one in Christ. I promise to reject Christ is to reject your only hope. May we all receive him in faith and receive the amazing gift of eternal life.